following podcast is sponsored by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. I'm your host, Louis G. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener. Michael Bay's Transformers. Transformers, Age of Extinction. Beast Wars. Beast Machines. G.I. Joe. The GoBots. That episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where they introduce a new character in the opening credits. Dragon Ball Z. Bumblebee starring John Cena. And Of Mice and Men. Ba weep grana weep ninibon. Ba weep grana weep ninibon. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and try to determine which one is cooler, robots or dinosaurs. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every week. This week, I have my friend and robot enthusiast, PJ Mancuso. PJ, why don't you tell the listeners what movie we're going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about Transformers the Movie, 1986. That's right, the 1986 animated Transformers movie, which some saw as a conclusion to the animated series, although there was uh, at least one more season afterwards. That original animated series is often referred to as G1 Transformers. This movie is seen by a lot of fans as the official ending of the G1 Transformers for a very big reason that, of course, is a spoiler that we're going to get into. Uh, it, it's something that happens very early on in the movie. This podcast assumes that you've seen this movie or that you're familiar with Transformers or that you don't mind spoilers. We are going to talk about a lot of spoilery things. The notes at the beginning listed the movies that we're going to spoil. The director of this movie was Nelson Shin. Are you familiar with any of that director's other work? Yes, actually, uh, Nelson Shin was the founder and owner of Acom Studios, which is uh, Animation Korea Movie Productions. And they're pretty well known for working on uh, Saban's The X-Men from 1992, Silver Surfer, The Tick, Savage Dragon, Tiny Toon Adventures, Arthur, and the show they actually got fired from uh, Batman the Animated Series due to a lot of subpar work. Whoa, Okay. Nelson Shin, Acom Studios. In animation, a lot of times there are two studios working on uh, the same project. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Transformers, the television show, the movie, it was actually part of Sunbow Productions, which was an animation house in America that worked with Marvel Studios as well at the time. Well, Sorry, Marvel Productions. Marvel Studios didn't exist yet. They basically farmed the animation out to different companies in Asia. And the two that were used for Transformers were Acom and Toei. Toei Animation, probably best known in the United States for the animation studio behind Dragon Ball Z. Hmm. So how did, how did this movie go, or how did Transformers go from the series to this movie? So funny enough, completely product line driven. They were going to be changing out the current lineup of Transformers that were available in market, in Toys R Us, in whatever toy store you went to at the time. In order to do so, they wanted to have a nice transition between season two and season three, that kind of wrapped up a lot of the characters' stories. I guess wrapped them up in them body up. bags in some yes. cases. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of people went out unceremoniously. Um, oh, some off screen. 
Yeah. I don't, I don't know if, uh, so there, I, I wrote down a list of like Autobots I'm really concerned about that I don't know their fate, like Cliff Jumper and Jazz. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, uh, I guess just to, I mean, they, they make it. Those two make it. They they're, do. Okay. Yeah. They're at the end. They're saved by Daniel when he saves Spike from the, uh, the acid tank. Yes. Okay. Daniel's hero moment when yeah. uh, he's in that contraption that somehow doesn't break all of his bones when he transforms. <laughs> I think about that a lot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think about how much I want to own that, that suit, even if it did break all of my bones and turn them into jelly. So yeah, you mentioned the toy line was really the biggest, the change, the updates in the toy line, new toys, new characters coming out. PJ, I am, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you're a Buffy the, the Vampire Slayer fan. Are you a Buffy fan? No, actually, that's a blind spot in my my fandom. Okay. The 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 Joss Whedon products I mostly know are Firefly and the last four seasons of Angel. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think because they led on to SmackDown or SmackDown came on before Angel. I, I forget exactly. Without uh, without without spoiling it exactly, there is uh, something that happens in one of the later seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where the season begins, you get this, the opening credits sequence, and they, there's a new character in the opening credits sequence that they act like has always been there. <laughs> and, then when, and then when the episode starts and the whole season goes on, everyone acts like this character has always been there. And it's really jarring. It's re- it really throws you off guard. I will say without spoiling, it pays off later on, but this movie, when I when I watched it, I remember being a huge fan of the cartoon as a kid. Uh, I had a lot of the toys. I had at least three of the four auto, um, Dinobots that we see in this movie. I, I think I think this movie is one of the biggest reasons why I uh, started making this podcast later on. In life. <laughs> but there are characters in this movie that they just introduce. Like, yeah, no, these guys have been in Autobot City forever. These guys have been on the Ark forever. Um, like Ultra Magnus or Hot Rod, <laughs> or yes. I, if I'm not mistaken, Cup was Cup introduced before the movie? No, um, Cup, Springer, RC, they're all new for this movie as well. We've had a time jump where so now there's Daniel and Spike is an adult. The movie actually does a big time jump too. It's the far off future of 2005. Um, <laughs> The year of the Great Cybertronian War, yeah. two thousand five. We all remember that. Oh, I remember it distinctly. It was, uh, it was, it was what a time to be alive. Wasn't that the same year Marty McFly wrote a hoverboard? Oh, was that? Uh, no, it was because um, I remember yeah, the whole was, like we should be dressing like this and where yeah. are my hoverboards. <laughs> I will say though, the new characters they introduce, they do a really good job of individualizing them. They're actually some of the starkest characters in all of Transformers, in my opinion. Springer is actually like one of the one of the robots that I kept coming back to. I was like, this they keep this guy keeps getting these really great moments. He seems to have some sort of back history with RC that's implied, but like not really explicit. There's re- some really interesting stuff with Hot Rod and Cup that I liked too. I think that was a great idea to introduce both of those characters and to pair them together the way that they did. It's it's so funny that you mentioned that because this was, uh, I did two rewatches of this movie mm-hmm. uh, to prepare. And for the first time, I noticed two things that kind of, I probably should have noticed 
20 years ago, but I didn't. And they were actually involving Cup and Hot Rod. Funny enough, Cup has a, a gimmick of telling stories, telling war stories. Yep. They set it up where, you know, he tells a story. Grimlock, the Dinobot, one of the Dinobots, is, is very interested in hearing his stories. All the Dinobots love his stories. Tell Grimlock about the petrol rabbits again. <laughs> Which is actually of a, a Mice and Men reference. Ah, is it? Can you expand on that a little? Oh, geez, I got to find that. We can come back to that. I'll write that down. Yeah, one sec. Cup storytelling sequence of where the shuttle is drawn from the novel of Mice and Men, complete with Grimlock in the Lenny role asking Cup to tell Grimlock about the Petro rabbits again, which I think might have been along the lines of uh, tell Lenny about the rabbits again or or something to that. Yeah, man. <laughs> All right, so I got to add of mice and men to our spoiler list. Which man, you know what's you know what's fun about my spoiler list? I don't know if listeners have noticed this, but uh, often I list a few of the movies that we actually talk about, and then just some fun ones that I think are have funny titles. And I think that when listeners listen to this episode, and the spoiler warning says of mice and men. They're going to be like, yeah, okay. Transformers isn't going to spoil Of Mice and Men. Yeah, Um, I know. Of all the films to connect to Of Mice and Men, Transformers the movie is pretty low on the list. Yeah. Okay, this is is a place I want to start unpacking Mm -hmm. this movie. It is the year 2005. The treacherous Decepticons have conquered the Autobots' home planet of Cybertron. So where is the Decepticons' home planet? I thought that they also came from Cybertron. I thought it was a civil war on Cybertron. Yeah, that that line has always kind of thrown me for a loop. Being a a big Transformers fan, a lot of different continuity floating around. Even at that time, there was uh, a Marvel comic that was out and the television show. The television show was a bit more on the kid-friendly side and the comic was a bit more mature. In both of those comic, both the comic and the television show, it was a civil war. And it's funny for them to say, at the, like you said, at the beginning of this movie, the Autobots home planet. So I guess that assumes the Autobots lived on the planet and kicked the Decepticons out or what? I guess it's it, maybe it's like saying, you know, had had things gone differently in U.S. history, the <laughs> the rebels have conquered the home country of the Union. Yeah. And, and it's interesting with the Decepticons, because later media will have far more complex background behind the Civil War that they have. I highly recommend IDW's comic run prior to the current run, actually, mm-hmm. that had such a fun cast of characters and, and put people in the forefront, but had a, a wonderful backstory behind Megatron, how he uh, turned into a despotic Decepticon. But okay. in, in, in this case, yeah, it's, it's something along the lines of the Decepticons were a, a political insurgency within the planet uh, of Cybertron. And Autobots and Decepticons, God, now I am confusing my continuities, were, were uh, two factions on the same planet. Mm. So I guess in this case, the narrator will uh, be pushing forth the notion that the Autobots are the true rightful owners of Cybertron. And I guess all they have now are their moons. Yep. Uh, And only one of them by the end of the movie, right? Very true. So I have a few general questions about the movie that we're going to dig into as we go along. The first thing that I just want to mention up front so that we, I want to front load this because it's something that's going to pop up repeatedly. We are going to, we are going to discover through our discussion, is this movie a musical? 
And <laughs> I, I want to, my entry point on that is the opening credits of the movie is a, a, such a great example of how an 80, the, eight, the 1980s really knew how to use rock and roll to pump you up for the movie you were about oh, to yes. watch especially when you're a kid sitting in a theater and you're excited to see your best friends, Optimus Prime and Bumblebee and all his buddies. And there's this rocking soundtrack with a hard hitting drum beat. And you're just like, I was watching uh, uh, PJ. I was sitting in my home on Friday night, watching this movie, fist pumping in the air, just like rocking out. I was so excited for this. It just really in- instantly ignited that nostalgia in me and, and got me pumped up. Um, how did you feel about like when, when the credits were rolling? That is the best opening credits song. I think, I don't want to pin myself into a box, but it is one of the best opening credit songs ever. Mm. So much glam behind that. Arena rock is kind of the, the overarching soundtrack throughout outside of the, the score. The movie leans heavily on these things and the Transformers theme, which was fun on, on television, in this case performed by Lion. Yes. It just absolutely shreds. It, it, like I, Every time it comes on, I get tingly and I get yeah. pumped because I know it's, it's setting me up for something. Although I will say it comes after, it, it, like that, that wonderful kick-ass opening comes in right after Unicron, our uh, big bad of the film, devours an entire planet. And then yes. tonally we shift to rocking out to Transformers. <laughs> Annihilation of an entire planet. Transformers! Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets serious right away. This movie slaps you in the face and tells you to sit down and watch because <laughs> it is not going to be easy. You're going to cry, but you're going to laugh and you're going to have fun. And by the end of it, you're just going to have gone on an emotional journey. One of my arguments for this movie being a musical is a, is a song that comes a little bit later, shortly after that Transformers rock and roll version. I don't, I don't remember the name of it, but it's Dare. Dare to keep all your dreams alive. And we go from that message, dare to, dare to survive, dare to keep all your dreams alive, to dare to be stupid. Yes. So the music itself tells the story progressively throughout the movie, I would argue. A hundred percent. Dare was actually written specifically for the film, performed by the same person who also performs The Touch, another song that's widely known for this movie. And uh, his name's Stan Bush. He's the performer on that. Mm. The Touch actually not written for this movie at all was written for uh, a movie called Cobra and didn't end up getting used in that. And so they picked it up for this. And whereas Dare to be Stupid is performed by Weird Al Yankovic. You kind of go, okay, where does Arena Rock and Weird Al Yankovic fit in? And they kind of meet somewhere pleasantly in the middle because of the score that's around the film as well. But I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dare to be Stupid is the strongest argument for this movie being a musical. How so? I'd love to hear your argument on this. Yes, I think... From what we see on screen, the characters actually can hear this song because they're dancing to it at some point. And it, 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 it's very much choreographed to this song. And I guess maybe we could... <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we could argue uh, that the Junkions, perhaps, in that, that are they're in uh, this scene, are playing the song. They do, uh, they do live TV. They do uh, specifically speak only in sound bites 
from television commercials. Um, yeah, we talk TV. Eric um, Idle playing the lead junkie on there, actually, uh, from Monty yes. Python. Can I ask you, just for our listeners, if they're not familiar with this, can you give us like a brief explanation of the difference between diegetic and non-diegetic? Yes. The simplest of explanations would be diegetic music is music that the characters are aware of happening and being known to them. So we hear it as an audience, but the characters also hear it. Whereas in a lot of movies, you'll have licensed music or other songs played in the scene that don't actually get heard by the characters. They are unaware of them. It sets like a a city location, like, you know, crash in on L.A. and you hear I Love L.A. played by um, Toy Story composer. um, Randy Newman. Randy Newman. Yeah. So, So smash cut. We cut to L.A. We hear I Love L.A. by Randy Newman. The characters are not aware of this being played around them. Whereas uh, diegetic music, I think a good current example of that would be in the current season of Umbrella Academy. Three of the characters put on the twist and dance to the twist. And they are very aware that the twist is playing. Uh, I agree with you, PJ, that the dancing, the robots dancing to the music is very solid evidence that it's diegetic. I th- my theory is that and the movie? I feel like the movie lays the groundwork for this pretty well. That the junkions are they called junkions? Is yes, that junkions. The junkions. Wheel Wheeljack is that the main Eric Idle's name? Uh, no, he is Rekgar. Rekgar and no Wheeljack is an Autobot. Wheelie is the little rhyming bot that they meet on Junk Planet. Okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> friend find, look behind. Friend find, look behind. <laughs> So really funny enough in the comic is a bit of a badass at times. <laughs> I remember distinctly him sniping a Decepticon and saying something along the lines of wheelie not scared. War is declared. Oh, wow. Dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, <laughs> so wheelie, the, the junkions, Rekgar, my theory, I, I think this is supported by evidence in the movie is that, they are literally playing a Weird Al recording, and that's what they're dancing to. That's I, I, I would have to say I 100% stand by that um, yeah. as, as my viewpoint as well, especially on rewatches of this movie. Because originally you hear it and you're like, oh, this is a, a funny song. And then you listen to the lyrics and it's ridiculous. And it's 100% in line of something that the Junkions as a culture would play because of their talking TV um, and and some of the references that come in there, you know, act now, supplies are limited. Do you know, PJ, what I uh, regret that I didn't start this podcast by saying? I think I know. Ba weep, weep grana, weep ninivan. ninivan. <laughs> I wanted to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. PJ? Ba weep grana, weep ninivan. Ba weep grana, weep ninivan. Hello and welcome to Robots. <laughs> awesome. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I also wrote down from that opening shot, we are in Unicron's perspective. And this is something that I didn't start noticing in movies until later on in life. Perspective. The perspective of, of who the movie is taking the side of or whose story they're telling from their point of view. I start, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I started noticing this two years ago when I saw Infinity War. To some degree, of course, I, I, I studied this sort of thing and like learned about this sort of thing in school when studying story and, and storytelling. But Infinity War was a very stark example of this to me where we start out from the villain's POV. You know, we've got Thanos is, is 
trying to acquire the second of his gemstones that he's trying to acquire. And the whole movie is his quest to get those stones. We see his three-act journey and the Avengers are like his obstacles in the way. They're the villains of the movie. I'm not saying the movie agrees with Thanos. I'm just saying that it puts things from his perspective and it does, it establishes that right away. This movie starts with Unicron alone traveling through space, getting to the planet Lothal, if I'm, if I'm pronouncing that right. Oof, I, you know, I'm lying if I even knew, said I knew what the name of this planet was. It comes up later when the, lo- the lone survivor who escapes from the go. ship. I think his name is Kranix. Uh, his friend is named Orbalus, and one of the two of them dies. One of the two of them gets in an escape ship, and that escape ship gets yes. horrifically pulled back in, <laughs> like just before it reaches escape velocity. It's horrifying to watch. But the other one has suffers arguably an even worse fate because he's the one that we see executed by the Quintessence leader. Spare me this mockery of justice. Great line. So I just want to ask you, in your opinion, PJ, is this movie Unicron's movie? Is Unicron the protagonist of this movie? So I was thinking about this as you brought it up. He definitely drives a lot of the action post the battle between Optimus and Megatron. Because mm. at that point, if if, uh, if Unicron does not become involved in the story, we then have a transition of power uh, between Optimus and Ultra Magnus and uh, Starscream and Megatron because of the results of that battle. And then we don't have anything else other than the war continuing the way it does, just with Starscream in charge and Ultra Magnus in charge. Uh, Unicron becoming involved throws a third party essentially into this. And he uh, gives, well, I mean, do we want to, do we want to actually go into, uh, I I feel like we're kind of dancing around an elephant in the room here in the beginning of the movie. And that is the result of the battle between Megatron and Optimus Prime. Oh, sure, sure. What's the, yeah, feel free to. Going back to the idea that this movie was a send off for a product line. At the time, they didn't know how attached people had become to these characters and how important they were to their daily cartoon watching for for children and, Mm -hmm. and for those who enjoyed the show. They just thought of it as a product line. The, Which the, is evidenced by how little Bumblebee is in this movie compared to how much he's in the show. A hundred percent. Bumblebee has the smallest role in this movie and he he doesn't come back for a very long time. Doesn't have much dialogue either. They didn't, re- they, you know, they, they, they figured they were just updating a product, the toy line. Because at the end of the day, Transformers, G.I. Joe, uh, a lot of the cartoons in the 80s were designed to be 30 minute commercials Right. For, for toy lines. So they decided, let's send off our lead toy, Optimus Prime, and our lead villain, Megatron, in a pitched battle that is one of the best choreographed fights ever. They shockingly, especially for the time in American animation, kill Optimus Prime. Yeah. And he doesn't die, like, in the battle. He dies slowly after the battle, in a very emotional, very human way. On in a robo-hospital bed. Yeah, on a robo-hospital bed, surrounded by his friends, with a kick-ass lighting effect on a computer panel. You're kind of like, did they really just kill Optimus Prime the first time you watched this film? And kids are crying, and, 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 and this is actually one of the reasons why the film is actually a bomb. It doesn't do well in the box office. It changes up 
things that they do for later films in uh, the G.I. Joe movie, they pull back on killing off Duke because of this. Because mm. Duke yeah. clearly dies in that movie. And then at the end, they throw in, and Duke's going to be okay. We could add G.I. Joe to the spoilers list. Not surprising right, yeah. for, a, for a, two Hasbro toy lines. Um, yes. <laughs> we might also spoil GoBots if uh, you're concerned about that. Psykill, <laughs> leader one. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I know enough about GoBots to actually spoil it. I, I don't either. Um, <laughs> they were just part of the transforming toy crazes of the 80s. Yep. You're, you're absolutely right that this movie introduced a lot of new characters to sell toys. Uh, did, did they have the concept of triple changers in the toy line before this? Because we see, I think, Blitzwing, and I believe Springer is also a triple changer. And uh, Astro Train as well. Um, oh my God, Astro Train! I could spend this whole podcast talking about Astro Train. <laughs> <laughs> He's a train that transforms into a space shuttle. Yeah, Astro Train. It is. It's. It's what's on the box. Yeah. <laughs> that. That is. Yeah. It's what's on the box. That's perfectly said. <laughs> Blit, Blitzwing and and uh, Astro Train, I believe, are already around at that point. Springer is a new character for um, for the movie. In fact, he has probably one of my favorite lines in this movie when they're when they're fighting the Decepticons at Autobot City. He picks up a shell and he goes, I've got better things to do tonight than die. Yes. Oh, I love Springer. I love Springer. I remember that line. I forgot that was him. I love this character. There's another reason I love him that I'm, I actually will let this might be a good time to unpack it because it kind of goes hand in hand with this Optimus Prime thing in the cartoon. I've seen Optimus Prime completely dismantled. I've seen him shot up and smoke billowing out of him. And he's always been repaired. He's always, they've always found some Energon and a welding torch and put him back together yeah. and brought him back. And along with every other Transformer that, that happens to. So when he dies, um, I'm doing air quotes, uh, when he dies in this movie, I'm like, all right, Optimus is going to come back. And spoiler for the cartoon series, he does. But by, by the end of the movie, he's still dead. He's yeah. permadead. And it's even more baffling when Ultra Magnus gets exploded <laughs> and easily put back together. There, the movie really picks and chooses who certain types of damage permanently affects and who are just temporarily inconvenienced by it. I have a direct quote from Flint Dilly, who was listed on, on the credits as story consultant, actually one of the writers on the film as well. And he said, Ultra Magnus was not canceled from the product line and therefore could be repaired. Are you serious? Yes. That's the reason? That's the reason. <laughs> that, that's his reason as to why this happens. Um, I mean, there's no story reason other than maybe the Junkions are really good at repairing stuff. Um, Fair. Okay. If yeah. Optimus and had died on the planet Junkion, he would have been <laughs> just fine. Uh, sure thing. But now um, he is but, too far gone. But this is, as we've said a couple times in different ways, this is a war. Capital W. Yes. Three exclamation points. War. They they do not pull punches. There are moments in this that I was really surprised by. So uh, when Autobot City is is transforming they're shutting it down they're putting it on lockdown because the decepticons are invading there is a moment when I, I, it's hot rod and daniel are trying to get back to the city yes springer and rc and i think cup is with them are like trying to they're, they're activating a panel that's going to close and rc is like well uh what about hot rod and daniel they're still outside the city and springer's like yeah there's no time 
Sorry. <laughs> Later, RC, I think I know what you're going to say. RC leaves Daniel behind, leaves Daniel behind to fight like four Decepticons by himself. And this is the first time he's been in that suit transforming. Later on, man, people just keep getting left behind. Also, I think it's Ultra Magnus has this moment when, oh, I wrote this down. Let me find it. Yeah. Okay, so they almost closed Autobot City before Hot Rod and David get inside. RC complains, but later Ultra Magnus leaves her behind. (laughs) And then when they're flying towards the junk planet, they get shot down. There's, I forget who says this, but Cup and Hot Rod just bought it. And Ultra Magnus' response is, Springer says that. um, Ultra Magnus' response, do you remember? I do. I can't deal with that now. I can't deal with that now, yes. It's Robert Stack, right? Robert Effen Stack, uh, who most people, I think, our age know from Unsolved Mysteries voiceovers. Mm -hmm. Played Elliot Ness on The Untouchables. Went on to do a very funny role in Beavis and Butthead Do America, uh, (laughs) where he he is an FBI, no, he's an ATF agent who orders cavity searches for anybody and everybody. But in this, he, he sees he sees his two, two of his most important uh, lieutenants getting shot down. And his response is, I can't deal with that now. And it's, it's not callous. It's very real. I, and, I was thinking of exactly that last night as well, watching that moment, because literally in the moment, he's also still trying to keep his team from buying it. Exactly. Um, for a kid's movie. <laughs> yes. Quote, unquote quote-unquote kids movie looks better than anything at the time I feel related to such a product. I mean, if you look at the television show animated by two of the same studios that do this movie, although this movie is actually all animated by Toei, it looks like an anime. I mean, the detail in it, the shading, the light, the the paneling, everything like looks alive. There's so much detail in this movie to the ridiculous degree. I mean, all the, the insides of Unicron, the, mm. I, I like, it's a moment we'll probably talk about in a little bit more detail, but things in battle that pay off in terms of like, oh, wow, they actually took the time to make that look different each time he struck that octopus's tentacle or squid's tentacle with his rotor blade. Like he cuts into it three times and you see the difference in damage each time. It's kids were. <laughs> I believe you're referring to uh, on the planet of junk when when uh, is it Cup that gets tangled by those those tentacles? I wrote that down because I was disapp- I, I was trying to determine is this a Robo Squid or a Roboctopus, oh. and it's not a Roboctopus. <laughs> Much better. But word. Robo Robo Squid is still cool. But man, that Roboctopus Roboctopus is just more fun to say. And and. Amazingly, that planet has robot everything, robot fish, robot sharks, robot, robot judges. Robot um, fish eating smaller robot fish. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, I, uh, I have a general question that I think I, I want to check in every once in a while when we talk about a character, which is uh, what is the point of this Transformer transforming? For example, Unicron what, or any of the Dinobots, uh, especially Grimlock. Why, yes. when you have a bipedal form where you have access to all your weapons and any direction you want to fire them in, what do you need to transform for? So Grimlock, if if we want to focus in on, on Grimlock and Unicron, Grimlock, he king, he, mm. he's a robot who is a dinosaur. And when he is created, he is not given the same level of intelligence as other Autobots for some reason. Uh, the same with the, the rest of the Dinobots. They are given limited intelligence. Like, I mean, like, if you look at it in, in the show, the Dinobots are 
impossible to control sometimes in terms of yeah. the way they act. And they're basically used as a hammer against any anything possible. And so why why Grimlock, why he king, why he transformed <laughs> from robot into dinosaur when he is a robot who can fly, it's because dinosaur is his natural state. And okay. he is a robot dinosaur and his robot is his alternate form. PJ, this movie is a perfect movie for us to explore what this podcast is striving to answer. The two big questions this podcast is striving to answer. What is a robot and what is a dinosaur? PJ, what is a robot? So this is this is actually a question I've struggled with a lot in my life. Uh, not... Not something most people would because robots are very important to uh, who I am as a person. I love robots. I love everything they're about. I watch a lot of other stuff that have what people might say, wow, cool robot about Gundam being one, but Gundams aren't a robot. Gundams are a mech because they're piloted by people. To me, a robot is a autonomous, somewhat sentient being, especially in the Transformers case, that uh, is robotic. It, it's basically a robotic life form that has the same drives, the same willingness as a as a human does in this case. I mean, the Autobots. So you, you, sorry, go ahead. No, the Autobots we see mourn death. It's not just another thing turning off. It's not a car breaking down. It's a friend. It's a loved one dying. That's and, a really good point. You consider robots living things. You consider them. Yeah, I do too. I do you think that this movie is one of the reasons you feel that way? 100%. When you close your eyes and you just imagine a robot or if somebody says the word robot, is something from this movie an image that springs to mind or do you have another sort of iconic robot image? Ooh, um I grew up with a lot of B-50s sci-fi. So somebody might say robot and depending on the day of the week, I might think of uh, Forbidden Planet. Okay. I might think of um, Lost in Space, but I would say a good 90% of the time, someone says robot, and I just picture our heroic Autobot leader, not Ultra Madness. <laughs> <laughs> you, mean, uh, you, mean, you mean the Optimus Prime repaint? Yes, uh, the Optimus Prime shell that built around a white Optimus Prime. I, 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 I think of Optimus Prime. I, I do. He has I do such, too. such a presence. Yeah, Optimus, I think of Optimus Prime a lot. And to be honest with you, this might sound weird, but I discovered early on in life, Optimus Prime was my actual moral compass. I am not, I'm not making this up when I say there have been moments in my life where I've thought, what would Optimus Prime do in this situation? And is it the right thing to do? Because he is, you could call him one note, you could call him kind of simplistic, but his dedication to honor, to compassion, to doing the right thing at all costs, even if it's at a great personal cost to him, his lack of ego, mm. everything about him is just very admirable in a leader. He's, he's a great example of leader and somebody that you can easily follow because you know they make the right choices, even if you aren't sure what the right choices are. He is leader with a capital L. He and, and and it's funny that you do mention, you know, as your moral compass, a lot of people felt that way. It's continued since Transformers has been a thing. I remember specifically there was somebody in the army who tra changed their name to Optimus Prime Whoa. because he 
represented what he thought were the values of himself and what he should put forward as a soldier. He, you know, Optimus Prime, like you said, did what had to be done through a moral lens. I mean, Mm. he throughout the show, for the most part, isn't out there to kill Megatron. But in this movie, he's, you know, one shall stand, one shall fall. I mean, Peter Cullen, the voice actor, he's just got such a timber in his voice, such a presence behind what he says. You get tingly. you like, that's somebody who I would, I would transform into a car and follow into battle. Um, transform and roll out. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, he, he's, he takes it upon himself. He's like, this must come to an end. He yeah. must be stopped no matter the cost. Because this fight has been going on for two seasons of the show and, and long enough for Spike to have a kid. So it's been going on forever. And, and now the Decepticons are bringing the fight to his front door. And he realizes there's no end to this. Megatron will not rest. And anytime we detain him, he'll escape and just do this again. And this just needs to end. This needs to stop. And I'm, and I'm ready to... Now you're, you've pushed my back to the wall. You've pushed me into a corner. And now I'm ready to fight you to the end. Um, And you do definitely hear that in Peter Cullen's voice. It's a mixture of determination and resignation and almost regret that he has to do this. So as a character, I admire Optimus Prime a lot. He is an iconic robot that when I close my eyes, there are there are three robots that, d- depending on the context, almost immediately come to mind. The, the Terminators from Terminator, mm. R2-D2, and yes. Optimus Prime. I have a big moral quandary, though, that I want to ask about. Did Prime set Ultra Magnus up to die? And if so, did he know it was necessary? You know, there's a lot of the idea of fate and destiny in this film. Unicron talks about it at his very last breath. And there is an underlying sword in the stone theme underneath this film, where when Prime goes to hand Ultra Magnus the Autobot uh, Matrix of Leadership, he drops it. And the person who catches it is Hot Rod. Everything lights up brightly. We have this musical sting. He then hands it over to Ultra Magnus. And in the sense of Prime has died, Ultra Magnus is kind of this in-between because Hot Rod has not yet been, like he hasn't yet, I guess, earned or, or even begun to tap into his own potential to become the leader of the Autobots. In terms of whether... I guess to answer your question, though, sorry, um, to answer your question, is he set up? Yeah. I think maybe. I think maybe. Like, do you think think Prime knows Ultra Magnus isn't actually the one who will inherit the Matrix, but he needs needs to be the the torchbearer for now. He needs to be the one to carry it until Hot Rod is ready, because he sees Hot Rod's potential early on. Yes, especially because... Ultra Magnus is presented to us, and this is his first appearance, but he's presented us as this warrior, this this leader, who is probably more of like a battlefield leader as opposed to an overall leader. He might be like a company commander as opposed to a general. And I, I think that, I think deep in my heart, if Prime had been able to have a conversation with Magnus where he said, listen, I'm going to give you this thing and you're going to have to sacrifice yourself. I think Magnus would say, okay, I'll still do it. I, I believe that. And, and not to say that, you know, I mean, it, it's almost like the cult of prime at that point. There, there's definitely in Transformers a uh, fatalism that is also present in uh, Terminator, uh, funny enough. 
No yes. fate, but so, what we make. So Unicron is yes. basically robot Galactus, yes. and it eats planets. Are the planets that it eats robots? From what we see, he only attacks two planets that we see attack, well, three technically, a planetoid with a moon. He, he attacks the opening planet, which is all robots, and then he attacks Cybertron's moon, which has robots and Spike, and then he attacks Cybertron itself at the end. And so far, all robots. Does that mean he exclusively eats robots? I'm not 100% sure. Here, here's more what I mean by my question. They, they use the term uh, robot planet. This is oh, a robot yes. planet. Cybertron is a robot planet. Earth is a human planet, for example, right? But what I'm asking is, uh, is Cybertron itself a robot? Is Lethal a robot? I hope I'm getting the name of that planet right. <laughs> are the planets that he's eating, that Unicron is eating, are they themselves robots that contain robot inhabitants? Mm. I'm tapping into... Uh, too much, too too many different Transformers mythos. I know that in in one series, the planet itself has life to it that is like powered by something. Sparks are created by the planet, and the the Transformers themselves are given life by the planet. Right, right. Uh, the so their that, bodies are built, but they house a spark that was created by Cybertron. So I so I think they are indeed almost living in a sense planets living as much as as the robots living on them are. Yeah. Um, I believe that they the planet itself has a purpose uh, that it is programmed to do, which is to sustain the life on it. And I think it's further evidence that they themselves, the planets, are living sentient robots because when Unic- when Unicron eats them and consumes them, it seems like he's churning their parts into his parts there's a process where he's not just obliterating them he's assimilating them yeah he, he is bork he uh, <laughs> we are bork right yeah he he breaks these things down in such devastating fashion and remorselessness he because he he opens it he, i mean he, it's akin to cracking open a can of tuna for him Mm. You know, I am eating for my sustenance. If something happens to be living here, uh, well, sorry. well, who who created Unicron, and what is Unicron's ultimate goal? I don't. Know. I, I, there probably is an answer. To this <laughs> there is an I, answer to this, which um, I which I don't personally know. I'm sure that like the the comics or some of the source material has gone into this, but just based on what we're given in the movie, do you have any speculation? Like, does the movie give us enough to speculate on that? Uh, no, uh, the movie just Unicron shows up and it's like, this is a planet sized robot that eats other planets. And mm-hmm. other than that, we know that he is almost unstoppable from the get go. I mean, he, he, he rolls up on, what was the name that you, uh, Lathone? Yeah. yeah uh, I so just, for yes. anybody that's uh, been screaming at their speakers, that <laughs> planet, planet is L I T H O N E. I think I've been saying it Lathon, but, or Lathal, but it's Lathone maybe. Yeah. Lift one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, lit one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Unicron Lathone, certainly lit yeah. one up on them. He did. He decimates them. And yeah, and and I guess going back to you know I guess maybe tying this into your 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 question earlier about you know is this Unicron's movie I I don't know if he is a the protagonist he is definitely a driving action but we don't know enough about him to be invested in him I feel 
for uh, the listeners to be clear, because I, I, PJ, I believe you and I are on the same page as this. P- protagonist does not mean good guy. It's exactly. Not an equivalence. Yeah, uh, pr- protagonist is your your focus, your point of view for the film. I guess much like Game of Thrones, uh, this this has a lot of different point of views that we do follow. I would argue our true protagonist is Hot Rod because this is his story. This is his sword in the stone. He has to atone for accidentally getting involved in Prime's battle with Megatron and getting Optimus killed. Did you notice he has a Luke Skywalker moment? He probably has several, but there's one when he's on the ship and he's training with a training bot. Yeah. And all I could think of was this is, this is Hot Rod's hero's journey. A hundred percent. And, and, and Cup is very much his Merlin. He, you know, he saves Cup. He saves his new now mentor in that moment where they're fighting underwater, puts him back together. And, and Cup is a Cup. Cup also plays a well sort of balance to, you know, Hot Rod is brash and hot headed Hot Rod and Cup. I mean, he's an, he's a salty war veteran who has seen everything until he doesn't, until he, until he, until he's like, uh, you know, as I was saying earlier, he talks about all these war stories. Yeah. And then at the end, when they're going to fight Unicron, Hot Rod says, does this remind you of anything? And he goes, no, I've never seen anything like this before. That line really hit me. That was a heavy line. That was the first time it hit me in, in terms of my recent rewatch. And I was like, and then I, I, I was like, oh, damn, they, they set it up in the sort of the rule of threes where he's telling more stories. He tells one once, he tells one another time. And then it's like, hey, you got a story about this? No, I've never seen anything like this before. And I've been alive. I mean, the Transformers live for millions of years. And yeah. He's I, think never he li- seen I, this. I think he literally tells Hot Rod at one point, we're living a war story right now. Yeah, he goes. You're living one. When he, yeah. yeah, the cup and hot rod are just such a great pairing. The 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 grizzled veteran and the young, ambitious, excited upstart. They learn from each other. They work really well together. Their dynamic is really funny. They have a lot of funny dialogue exchanges. So I I don't mind at all the thing that we were talking about earlier. I don't mind at all that they're just sort of dropped in front of us, yeah. and we're just saying like, hey, these are some new Autobots. You like Autobots, right? They're right. I do. I love Autobots. So give me more Autobots. And one of them that looks like a pickup truck. Do you know that's why his name is Cup? Pick up Cup? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> PJ, PJ, it took me, it maybe took me 20 years after watching this movie for the first time before I realized, oh, his name is Cup because he's a pickup truck. I'm, I'm today years old uh, <laughs> when I found that out. So that's my, um, I have a section that we're going to get to later called Something I Think You Don't Know About This Movie. And that is, that is, I think, a really solid one for me. I have one more big question about Unicron. Yes. Unicron, to me, visually, looks like the Matrix of Leadership itself when he's in his orb, orb form, when he's in his sphere planet form. Do you think that's deliberate? Yeah, I mean, aesthetically, he has the same sort of source of light in the center. He is spherical. He has these... Uh, bounding lines around him similar to the handles that are on the matrix. I don't think it's a mistake or an accidental coincidence. Uh, A lot about this movie is very deliberate in design choice, in lighting choice. Nelson Shin talks about in the commentary, he lit scenes 
specifically in different colors to represent the different energies, the different factions, mm. the different people. Like even the laser beams that shoot out of the, the weapons of the Autobots and the Decepticons are color coded. Just like in Star Wars, right? Exactly. And so the I. The good guys I, are red, the bad guys are green. Yeah. And I think in this case, the good guys are orange and the bad guys are purple. I, I highly doubt, and it could probably be looked into a bit more, but uh, I highly doubt in my opinion that it's it's a mistake that they have a similar appearance. And, and one is the end of the other. The Matrix is what destroys Galvatron. Yeah. Wait, sorry, not Galvatron. Jesus, too many Trons. Uh, Unicron. <laughs> I do want to talk about Galvatron at some point. I love that you said it's like one is the end of the other. There is a repeating theme in multiple Transformers iterations. Beast Wars and Beast Machines go into this. I remember, I remember being a teenager and being obsessed with Beast Wars or Beast Machines and oh, well, both of them. And there is a line, Megatron gets to this like third or fourth final form after he's become a transmetal and then a transmetal too. And he is hooked into this whole like tap directly into this energon in the center of the planet Cybertron. And he says, I am the alpha and the omega. Yes. And this is something that comes up a lot in Transformers, the beginning circling back to the end and creating a new origin point and the, the story sort of repeating itself. I have a wild theory about Unicron. Would you like to hear it? I really would. It's 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 supported by what we've been talking about, though, and his similar appearance to the Matrix of Leadership. I believe that the Matrix of Leadership, I, I believe this is actually supported in the canon, that it's what created Optimus Prime. I think he was originally a everyday robot named Orion Pax. That's and correct. he was granted leadership abilities. He was granted more capability and up he was upgraded by the matrix of leadership because it saw his potential and i think the matrix of leadership itself is indiscriminate it granted him this power because it saw his potential and unicron is someone that started out as a potential optimist a potential leader and his version of amassing army or or getting followers was to literally assimilate followers. So he misinterpreted what the matrix of leadership wanted him to do and maybe perverted it into his own interpretation. And so his quest is like Galactus. He goes around the galaxy, assimilating other robots into his form to make him bigger. And ultimately, you could argue, his goal is peace. His goal is to have a peaceful universe because the Autobots and Decepticons are waging war forever against each other and unicron unicron is trying to achieve mm -hmm. unity i don't support this but i'm <laughs> but but i'm saying i think that's his philosophy much like um it's philosophy i shouldn't say his it's it's philosophy and much like galactus he has heralds as well he uh yes deputizes several former decepticons and reformats them and like you said with with optimus and and the other good good quote unquote good guys in the film they're transformed through the power of the matrix whereas mm -hmm. the the decepticons are transformed through the power of unicron's wizardry so they're they're given power from a source that is uh on a mission of unity slash destruction and the autobots are given power from something that is about unity as well till all are one till all are one yeah um the hindu philosophy of brahman right <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I 
I don't know. Is that the case? Is that? Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it really is. I learned about, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I should not sit here and try to sound like I'm an expert on <laughs> anything involving Hinduism, but I'm showing my complete I, negligence in, in knowledge at, at, on this point. Um, what, I, what, to be clear, what I'm positing is that transformers borrowed from yes. Hindu philosophy, not the other way. Around. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this, just this idea that, uh, the, the ending of the universe will be when all souls are sort of assimilated back into the one, the one creator, the one uh, enlightened being. And that's how enlightenment and and peace will be achieved for all living things. And that's really, again, an oversimplification. But I believe it's possible that Unicron's power is very similar to the Matrix of Leadership's power, but corrupted. Mm. It's a corrupted version of it. I, I like your theory. PJ, I have another question about whether or not, or or about the definition of robots. Megatron, at some point, has um, Hot Rod. It's when they're fighting in Unicron's belly, and he tries to choke him to death. Yes. Why? (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. They talked about that in the commentary as well. They go, you know, uh, many people have questioned us over the years. Uh, Do robots breathe? Um, (laughs) Do do, what? What is the? You know, uh, I will say Galvatron does have a a badass line during that, and I think it's to to build the drama of it. You know, it's a it's a pity you Autobots die so easily. Otherwise, I'd have some satisfaction or something to that effect. That sounds Um, right. Why does he why does he choke him? Because he's evil. He's he, he he's 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 just inflicting damage. He's inflicting pain. Also, maybe Galvatron. it's uh, maybe he's not actually trying to choke him. Maybe he's literally trying to fulfill his promise earlier to crush him with his bare hands. Ah, there we go. Starting with his neck, tear his head off <laughs> or neck um, joints. Yeah, and it's it's also funny because Galvatron has no convictions. Truly, you know he. He get he he gets these power. He's, he Megatron becomes Galvatron when uh, Unicron finds him floating in space after Starscream unceremoniously uh, mm-hmm. throws him out of Astro Train, and then Frank Welker gets swapped out for uh, Leonard Nimoy oh, Leonard in the Nimoy. booth. Yes, Leonard Nimoy. Uh, Leonard Nimoy chewing scenery as Galvatron might be my favorite thing about the movie. I love it. Um, there's so many things I love about this movie, but the fact that we have Leonard Nimoy, who in my life primarily known for being Spock, is now a villain and is truly dastardly and cowardly at times as well. Frank Welker, who played Megatron, is I, I, I could not even go into detail how many different things that man has worked on. And, and if you've listened, if you've watched any cartoon at any point in your life, I'm willing to bet Frank Welker played a voice in it. He, he, he's just versatile and so wide ranging in what he's able to do that you, you wouldn't even know he was in the show unless you looked at the credits. When I was going to watch this movie, I was looking it up on my Apple TV, which shows you like all the services available. I ended up um, renting it through iTunes. But one of the other available options when I typed in Transformers was a new, mo- a newer movie, I think from 2015 or 2017, maybe. It's something, it's a series I'm not familiar with, the, the Primes or Prime, Hun- Prime Hunters. Um, oh, it was a spinoff of um, Transformers Prime. I, or it was yeah. like the sort of sequel to Transformers Prime or the last season of Transformers Prime. 
But uh-huh. what I what I noticed that was delightful was that Frank Welker and Peter Cullen and like a few other names that I recognized were still in the credits. These guys are still voicing these characters to this day, which I mean, maybe it's a paycheck, but I, I think it's beyond that. I really do think they love these characters. They love this world. You, you can hear it in their performances and the fact that they're still doing it. Uh, I can't imagine that any of them needs a paycheck at this point. This franchise is so iconic and has done so well internationally. They must be collecting royalties. Otherwise, they're getting ripped off. But I can't imagine that they don't have some deep love for the property and the characters themselves. What do you think? Peter Cullen especially um, is known for being on record as to like when he's like, this does not sound like something Optimus Prime would say. This isn't something he would do. I I could be conflating this, but I, I do remember that there was some sort of issue he had in one of the movies where he's like Optimus Prime in one of the Michael Bay movies is going to kill or murder or threaten murder on Kelsey Grammer in the film. No, he obliterates, he disintegrates people, humans. He kills humans in that movie. That movie's nuts. And and he was like, this isn't true to to Prime. And PJ, I hope I hope you come back as a guest one day so we can unpack that whole movie because that is bonkers. And there's a lot of other stuff that Optimus does in that movie, like swearing, like saying yeah. he says the f word a couple times, and it's 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 shocking. It's yeah, I have so many problems with those movies, <laughs> but and, and like you know. I, Transformers the movie 86 a lot of my love for that film is nostalgia based but it's also it has I mean it's better than it has any right to be honestly and it holds up I would argue it holds up especially for like we said a a movie designed to end a product line and start a new product line it 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 could have been the simplest thing that was created but they they put so much effort into this Mm -hmm. uh visually storyline wise uh character development wise do they pick up the ball and run with it in the following seasons Eh, not so well and i think this movie is also why like at the time it wasn't a hit but it was it it resonated with with people It, it stuck with fans and it's a good reason as to why transformers is a very big property again as it is now i mean in the last 10 20 years transformers has come back big with the toy line and different animation properties, the movie franchise. And I, and I think a lot of that rests on the back of Transformers from 1986. Yeah. I have one quick question before we move on to the yeah. next bit. Obviously, no one calls Soundwave uncrasmatic, but, <laughs> but PJ, I have to ask you, why is Soundwave so cool? It doesn't make sense that Soundwave is cool. I think he's cool. I've always thought he was cool, but I don't get, I don't, looking back, I'm like, he's a cassette player. When he transforms, he has to like be stationary. What makes Soundwave so cool? Is it just the voice? I, I think it's a, it's a combination of voice and appearance. He has, like, he almost kind of looks like the Decepticon logo. He has such an amazing voice effect. Also, Frank Welker, which is similar to his Dr. Claw voice from Inspector Gadget. When I close my eyes and I picture a robot, I see Optimus Prime. But when I'm, like, imagining what a robot sounds like, it's Soundwave, 100%. 100%. Oh, yeah. Like, the voice, the, the, the portrayal, it kills it. He looks cool, too. He's got a missile launcher on his shoulder. And yeah. he has a team that he carries in his chest that he can deploy. He has he has a uh, uh, counterpart in the Blaster. Autobots, Blaster, played by Scatman Carruthers. Why is Blaster not cool? Because Blaster's not cool. 
<laughs> I think Blaster's cool. Um, okay, fair. But fair. he he's not as he's not as of a presence that that uh, that Soundwave is. Soundwave is he's purple. He stands out. He <laughs> he's got and even his 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 uh, I was gonna say his Goombas his uh, his his team that he shoots out of his chest. His goons. His, his goons, his cassette tapes, uh, <laughs> you know, they all have distinction as well in their personality. Whereas like, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you the name of any of Blaster's group, but you know, Laser yeah, we got, Beak, uh, Ravage. Rumble, Frenzy. Yeah. One of them has like a great line where they're like, first we crack the shell, then we crack the nuts inside. Exactly. And he's, uh, he pops up repeatedly throughout the movie, this tiny, tiny little, um, robot fighting these huge robots and like talking smack at them the whole time. It's awesome. Yeah, they have they have presence. They have attitude. They they when they show up, you notice them. You you don't you don't neglect them. You don't shrug them off. Yeah, Laserbeak plays an integral role spying at the beginning. Yeah, sets up the other Autobots to to for murder. Um, PJ. Yes. When um, when when Megatron gets upgraded to Galvatron, one of the first things he does is arrive at Starscream's coronation, which is, I love Starscream <laughs> so much. My favorite. He, he might be my favorite Transformer overall. Like, I, I, I adore and I admire Optimus Prime, but Starscream is such a fun character, and he's an agent of chaos in a lot of ways that he incites a lot of the fun that we see. He, he, he causes a lot of the problems that need to be solved. And so like tossing a bunch of survivors out of Astro Train and taking the crown, literally having a crown made for himself at his coronation. I assume he's the one that ordered some of the robots to be playing trumpets, but then he gets annoyed that they're playing for too long and he, sh- he blasts the trumpets. And then Galvatron shows up and disintegrates him. And it's, it's, shocking to watch a thing that comes up in a lot of movies with both robots and dinosaurs is this fear i think of being completely obliterated being uh by a robot getting blasted by its energy weapon and being disintegrated so there's no body to bury and where that correlates to dinosaur movies is if you're eaten by something Again, you can't have a funeral. You can't, you can't, there are no remains, you know, to, to honor you with. And I think that's a fear that we tap into a lot with sci-fi movies involving either of these monsters when they're the scary thing. It's this obliteration. A lack of uh, remembrance, nothing to leave behind. Starscream is an agent of chaos. Mm -hmm. And funny enough, he, uh, in terms of voice actors, he's played by... uh, Chris uh, Lotta, who was a stand-up comedian prior to uh, being a voice actor. He plays Cobra Commander as well. He does a lot of other work. He was also a bit of an agent of chaos on set uh, oh. for a lot of things. Um, he gets kicked out of The Simpsons, actually. Uh, he was originally the voice of Mr. Burns and Moe. And basically, because he was unpleasant to work with, Matt Groening was like, yeah, we don't need you around anymore. Oh, that's um, a bummer. But he he brings like an edge. He brings something to Starscream that is is perfect for the Decepticons. Is that you know they're it's in the name Decepticons, deceiving, yep. deception. Starscream is the the ultimate opportunist in the sense of like you know oh okay I've been trying to take the crown from Megatron for a million years or so. Now I have the perfect opportunity. You know I still function. Want to bet? <laughs> 
And then he so. gets it thrown back in his face. Yep. By Galvatron because he's you know he's, Galvatron shows up and he's like who, who's who's disturbing my coronation here? He's Megatron. He goes here's a hint, and he just <laughs> you know he just vaporizes him. And I think that's you know in in the case of Galvatron being formerly Megatron, there's a there's definitely a point behind that, and it's I will erase you from this plane of existence yep. because you have dared to cross me. No one will remember you after I do this in the sense of like, you know, he shows up, he stomps on the crown and somebody goes, who's this guy? I think it was um, Rumble What did he say Frenzy. his name was? Yeah, what 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 he say his name was? Galvatron. And, you know, he, <laughs> he just, again, Leonard Nimoy eating the scenery around him like Unicron. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it, it's definitely a, like that idea of not having something left behind to be remembered as. Although I, you know, like I'm pretty, I, I'm I'm on record of of wanting to be cremated mm. when I pass away. I, I see no um, attachment to my being after the fact. Personally, I I want to be tossed in the ocean and eaten by small fish. Yeah, that's a contributing back to the ecosystem. Yep, um, I wouldn't mind becoming Which, a tree. You know what? I said I didn't support Unicron earlier, but uh, I just said that I want to be assimilated into the planet. So, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe I need to do some self reflection. Where are the facts, Lou? Where are the facts? <laughs> uh, PJ, um, we talked about what is a robot, and uh, the Dinobots in this yes. movie bring up both of the the question of what is a robot, but also what is a dinosaur. So. Um, you don't have to answer it in the context of the Dinobots, but in general, what is a dinosaur? What's your definition? Uh, I mean, dinosaurs are love. <laughs> and I, I, <laughs> there it is. Well, you don't even have to say anything. Dinosaurs are love. Dinosaurs no, are ahead. love. <laughs> um, prior to being a robot enthusiast as a child, I was a dinosaur enthusiast. Um, yes. I, I, in in my life growing up, you were either a you're either a dino fan or a robo fan, um, and I guess that kind of trickles down to toy cars, something that's machinery versus dinosaurs, organic, living, extinct, something that it's at times hard to even imagine existing at any point on the planet compared to what you see around you now. You know, the sheer thought of a megafauna traipsing through Central Park is hard for me to comprehend at times, but I can go to, you know, the Museum of uh, Natural History and I can see skeletons of dinosaurs i mean you know and and as i've grown up the representation of dinosaurs has changed we've discovered more things about them originally the t-rex was always very upright as we see even with grimlock he's portrayed as a standing upright t-rex uh Mm -hmm. later on jurassic park changes that perception of the t-rex in that he is more active he's not lumbering he's not dragging his tail or in this case in jurassic park she roberta yeah and one of my previous guests informed me that they nicknamed that uh, T-Rex Roberta. Ah, I did not, did know, not that. know that. And I know how much you love Jurassic Park. Yeah, it was delightful for me to learn that. I, I love learning new things about movies. So does this movie have, would you call the Dinobots dinosaurs? Would you call them proper dinosaurs? W- w- okay, let me, let me word the question this yeah. way, because I think this is the best way to ask this. What would you classify the Dinobots as? A robot or a dinosaur? They are um, the apex of uh, the two. They they it, 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 they assimilate perfectly in that you know a dinosaur as a as an animal, a robot as a piece of machinery, 
and they kind of hit the sweet spot of if if Grimlock was portrayed as intelligent as Optimus Prime, I don't know if I would love Grimlock as much as I do. And um, if that were the case, I would lean heavily towards Robot. Yes, they 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 are definitely dinosaurs who happen to be robots. I like that in in the sense of like if if dinosaurs continued to evolve to the point where they were speaking. I kind of see that as sort of a progression as to what the Dinobots would be. PJ, are you a fan of Beast Wars, the series? I So Beast Wars is my Transformers growing up. By the time I could remember seeing TV, it was, we were at the we were on the the Deke productions of GI Joe, not Sunbow. So there was a lot of different animation quality then, different GI Joes, some more gimmicky ones like Captain Gridiron, the football throwing, grenade tossing GI Joe, <laughs> and Transformers at that point had already ended, and they were rebroadcasting it as Generation Two with some 3D animation cut between segments. But the first Transformers I distinctly remember consistently watching was Beast Wars. Oh, and Beast Wars. They they land on prehistoric Earth and a scanner finds DNA from fossil remains and from some of the living beings on the planet, such as like large insects or gorillas. But three of the robots are a Tyrannosaurus Rex, a Velociraptor, and a Pterodactyl, Pterosaur. One, only one of them is named Dinobot, uh, that which is, is a very simple name, but he's probably the best character on the show. The reason I'm, I'm bringing this over to Beast Wars is, I mean, obviously it's a continuation of the Transformers series, but in that, in that series, it's like they assimilate the DNA of the living animal into their makeup, into their, their robotic makeup. And I would, I'm wondering now, I'm sure that this, again, is an answerable question. The canon probably talks about this, but just from your speculation, are they cyborgs in Beast Wars? And is that distinct from the robots in this movie? Yeah. So the reason they have to take those animal forms is because at the time, the planet has such a concentration of energon that it's poisonous to their robot forms. They can't function. They can transform into their robot forms, but it's for a very limited amount of time initially. Yeah. It's not until transmetals where they become more machine that it, they'll overload them right exactly they, they you know they'll start sparking and have uh, electric electrical charges on the outside of them and they have to kind of revert back to their beast mode interestingly enough you know when they transform it's you know uh, maximize and terrorize and that and they they're definitely more cyborg-like in the sense because you, you get the feeling that it is almost an organic outside that's there to protect them in their alt modes because their alt modes aren't cars. They aren't Jeeps. I mean, if they... Right. If it wasn't Until they become transmetals. Yeah. Exactly. If it wasn't for the level of energon on the planet, they would have been robots. They would have been and anything. Do you remember later on in Beast Machines, they literally refer to them as techno-organic. Yes, and that's also a big issue in, in Beast Machines where, like, there's a Megatron right. ends up becoming the, the leader of Cybertron at that point in time. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's uh, very against the Maximals and, you know, the Predacons are, are, are the villains in that point. But uh, actually, I forget if they changed their name in, in Beast Machines. I, I haven't seen Beast Machines in forever. Uh, yeah. Oh, I w I'm struggling to remember if they do, um, because the thing that, that is like really at the front of my mind is that Beast Machines introduced this character named Botanica, who is a plant. Yes. Slash robot. 
which is fascinating. I think unequivocally, we have answered this. This episode has answered that robots, uh, in order to be a robot, it has to be considered a living thing. It has to have some degree of sentience. And I think if we, uh, there's probably somebody screaming at their speakers right now who's, you know, maybe a robotics engineer uh, (laughs) (laughs) that would argue that, you know, a factory line that makes cars is a robot and it doesn't really have sentience or self or awareness. But what we're, I think what we're talking about are our definition of robot is built around the cultural icon of what a robot is. This cultural perception, um, this agreed upon image of what a robot looks like, sounds like. And I would argue the robots that we now are trying to build, now that we sort of have the technology to, to make them do the things we, we've always dreamed of them doing, they're in real life imitating our movie pop culture versions of them in a lot of ways. Completely. Uh, the Boston Dynamics dog robot. I know the military recently even did some testing with robotic dogs. You know, you could give that robot wheels, but it, it definitely has a more, it's a, it's a uh, quadruped and it, I had to remember the difference between the two. You know, it, it, it's a quadruped, it moves, it has a personality almost to it. Like you said, yes, there, there are definitely robots that build cars, but I'm not going to go to the theater and watch a, 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 an hour and a half long movie of a robot arm that moves a door into place to be welded against a car. I, I'd watch maybe yeah. a documentary on that, but uh, Art, is not... a car, is a car a robot? Some people will give their cars personalities. I would, I, I want to go back to your previous, what you said at the beginning about a um, Gundam, a yes. Gundam is not a robot. It's a mech. And I yes. think a car is a mech. Yes. If you think about it, like you're inside of it, you're you're at the controls and you're basically using those controls to propel yourself. Like it's like your external exoskeleton that you're sitting inside of, you're strapped into it. Oh, side note, do the Autobots have seatbelts? <laughs> it was the 80s. Nobody had seatbelts. Yeah, Dan, there's a moment when Daniel's riding in Hot Rod and he is leaning forward, hands pressed up against the windshield. And I, I was just like, oh man, that's the worst place you want to be if, if Hot Rod hits something. Yeah. No, they have, um, they have no, uh, no seatbelts as far as I can tell. Yeah. They, they weren't built with safety in mind. <laughs> but they were built with seats though. Yes. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> Well, they used I to think, they used to project holographic people into mm-hmm. their into their seats so that they could um, you know deceive people to blend into uh, the the backgrounds around them when they were first on the planet. But PJ, even on Cybertron, before they ever come to Earth, they some seats. of their vehicle yeah. forms have seats <laughs> and cockpits. And <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the comics ever go into that. They're, um, they're more than meets the eye, and uh, they are more than meets the eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I we are we are uh, like the Quintessons. We are going to cast down our judgment on uh, robots and dinosaurs. I'm including them both in this movie. On previous episodes, we've covered Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. Uh, we've covered Big Hero Six. Those those were movies where it's very clear we're talking about robots in one. We're talking about dinosaurs in another one. I think it's fair in this movie for us to judge both robots and dinosaurs. Mm. And what we need, PJ, what I need is as my guest, I want you to tell me if this movie is a plus one or a minus one for the representation of robots and also for dinosaurs. Oh, 
you know, I, I was going to come in and say that it, 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 it's a plus one in both to me as, as a viewer. I, I Grimlock and the Dinobots have charm to them. They bring a comic relief at times. Yeah, um, there's a bit where Slag knocks down a door and he takes a moment to say, excuse me. Exactly. Or when Devastator slams um, one of them in the head, his eyes comically bounce out of them. And, and <laughs> actually, let me let me double check which Autobot that is, because if I, I don't think say it's it, Sludge, I believe it's Sludge. I think you're right. So he hits Sludge and his eyes comically pop out of his head and go back down. Yep. And and, and then on the other end, you know, this movie is 100 percent. Wow. Cool robot especially the new characters that are added in. They're very flashy. They're very colorful. Cup being the exception of, of flashy, but he has personality. Grit. Yeah. RC. And, oh, even Blur, played by the guy who would voice the micro, micro Machines commercials. Oh, um, good pull. Like, he's actually talking at that speed. He's not sped up in a studio. He is John Mashita. And he was found from a FedEx commercial originally. Like he held the Guinness World Record for the fastest talker for a very long period of time. Like he would talk in 586 words per minute. Oh, wow. I believe um, Eminem recently broke that record with Rap God. (laughs) Wait, really? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. No, sorry. I was, I I had Um, no idea. I can I can fact check that real quick, but I but I think I heard that that's accurate. That uh, Eminem has holds like a land speed record for words per minute in that song "Rap God." Uh, I'm just gonna fact check that real quick. Yeah, um, and so who gets the plus one? The robots or the dinosaurs? Um, oh, oh. To be clear, they can both get a plus one. Oh, great. No, uh, then a hundred percent. It's it's a plus one for both of them, especially Grimlock steals my heart. He shows up, he saves the day several times. They, they kick ass and, and yet they're fun. They're funny. They're cute. They have a, a charm to them. And then the rest of the robot cast, uh, not to say that they're not robots, but they are our dinosaur representations here. The rest of the robot cast also, you know, they, they're there. you you care about them. You want to know what's going to happen. You want them to succeed you want Galvatron to be taken down. You want Unicron to be stopped. Overall, like the movie just has so much fun to it. It's it's so charming. It it doesn't even stop at times. Like it, it's almost relentless in its pursuit of continuing a story. We have very little downtime and a lot of like, let's get into this next kick-ass battle where our characters are fighting for their lives. Set to some really good music from is it uh, nrg in this case oh, no, it, that's instruments of destruction sorry <laughs> oh yeah i mean so the, the movie has two different musical things going on with it it has its original score which is c- c- composed by a vince vince decola who other people might know from the rocky four soundtrack the transformers producers saw that movie and were like we want your synth sound for transformers he was specifically picked for this and they went to town and you can find you can see the love in that synthesizer they they pulled in everything that they could to make this and then on the other hand you have the original motion picture soundtrack as it's called where we have you know the touch dare nothing's gonna stand in our way escape hunger you know i mean like it, it just it just pushes forth everything that you're like i want the scene to continue forever, or I could watch Hot Rod fight the Robo Squid over and over. 
I mean, uh, songs from this movie have even appeared in other things. Uh, Boogie Nights has Mark Wahlberg singing The Touch. Bumblebee. Bumblebee did a diegetic reference to this. Ah, yes. You're right. Oh, Bumblebee. Um, when, when Bumblebee, the car, is trying to urge uh, Haley. Is it Haley Atwell? No, that's not the actor. When, she, when the car is trying to urge the main character to, to do the cliff jump, it, it plays, you've got the touch on the car radio. Yeah. Such a great moment. I also, if you've seen Bumblebee, as, as our resident robot enthusiast and robo fan, I would definitely want to talk about that movie with you sometime because other than this movie, other than 1986 Transformers, Bumblebee is my favorite Transformers thing that I've seen. It was the most in tone with, with, with the original series. Um, mm-hmm. And not to say that the original series tone is, is you know, perfect it, it, you know it, it has its moments but it also is a television show you know a television commercial for for toys so i'm not going to say you know it has heart and soul but it has something to it in terms of a tonality that mm-hmm. the movies uh, from even the first transformers michael bay film don't exactly have they're a little more dark they're a little more gritty they're a little more post 9-11 world transformers bumblebee on the other hand i think primarily also because it is a period piece referring to the 80s as a period piece Ugh. um somebody yesterday i i was out with uh i was out with a friend said a movie was a period piece set in the 90s and i said please do not refer to the 90s as a period piece um <laughs> but, it, but it's a good point I, it I is that's a good descriptor for it okay for those of you keeping score so far in our in our podcast uh robots have a score of plus five dinosaurs have a score of plus four but that is only because we've reviewed one more robot movie than dinosaur movie so they're potentially tied but that's the current score. Here, before I go on to my, my two bonus questions, which I don't know if you even knew about. I, oh. hope, I hope these are a complete surprise. Before we go on to those, I just want to ask, do you have any, like, one last really cool thing that you might have in your back pocket, uh, something you think I don't know about this movie? So the, uh, there's, there's, there's a couple of uh, lines in the film that don't seem in line with a children's cartoon show. Um, Such as, uh, it isn't even dented. Oh, shit, what are we going to do now? <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, open, damn it, open. <laughs> um, you know, you might go, what, who, who, who said that this should be in the script? Who decided that we should have these lines? Someone from- who knows what war is, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the true reason is, is that they wanted it to be a PG-rated film. Otherwise, it potentially would have been a, a G-rated film, even with the level of violence it has, because it's robots and, and not human beings dying. They they added they added that line, Spike yelling, "Oh shit!" because they wanted a PG rating so that it didn't just show up as a children's cartoon film. Um, That's an interesting marketing strategy because you'd think that they'd want the most broad appeal possible. You'd think that they'd want to draw in the core audience, uh, kids who are going to get their parents to bring them to the movie more than anything. But something that we talked about earlier is like, if you're one of the first kids that goes to see this movie in the theater, and then you go back to like, you go to school the next day and you tell your friends Optimus Prime died. That might discourage them from wanting to go see it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, at the time, a lot of, you know, movies are are marketed by word of mouth and advertisement. 
So if you should, you know, I mean, there's a story of a child who locked themselves in their bathroom for two weeks after finding out that Optimus Prime had died. Pretty sure that child was me. I, I may have blocked that memory out, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a weird like tonality wise. The movie definitely is more anime than than American children's animation for the time. Yeah, um, there's no other property I can think of where we get Cockney Samurai. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's it's a little all over the place. And even, you know, the first few times I watched it in my teens, because this movie, I as I said, this movie dis- I discovered later in my life in, in well, later in my I, youth, I should say. Um, I didn't find it when it was originally broadcast. I was zero years old. So I was born the same year Transformers, the movie came out. Mm. And so by the time I watched this movie, I was I was desperate for more more robots, more mecha, more anything. And at the time, there was an anime magazine that was covering this film's re-release on DVD and VHS at the time. Just the stills alone, I was like, this does not look like a Transformers rerun I've seen on TV. This looks like something else. Hmm. And the the love that went into this, the there's a team of 400 animators that worked on this film. It's a hand drawn film. You see it. You see their efforts. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's of course it's it's an, a handmade animation, so there's mistakes here and there. But like primarily, it it, it looks better than most films that would have been out at the time for for children's property. I mean, short of being a Disney movie or maybe a, a Bluth production, like, you know, Fievel Goes West or, or something like that, the, the care that went into this. And actually, in fact, at this point, we haven't even sort of tipped into the, the Disney resurgence that comes about mm. uh, with The Little the Mermaid. Yeah. yeah. Little Mermaid is 89 and... At that point, we have other studios that have popped up because Disney has started to not produce as good a quality of an animated product. It's why Don Bluth creates his own studio. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you feel like that motivated uh, this is like this movie in particular motivated Disney to step their game up? Because after this, we get this golden age of Disney. I, I, I think I might be biased because I grew up in the 90s. Yeah. So Aladdin... Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King are little, these are like masterpieces in my mind. These are the Disney movies I first think of when I think of Disney. Yeah. So I think I have some bias, but I think it's also easy to argue that each one of those is truly a masterpiece. And and in addition to that, like the the success that they had, the songs that they produced, I mean, at that time, you know, by the time we're in Lion King, you know, we've got Elton John singing songs mm-hmm. on on the movie. And, you know, from there we have Phil Collins doing Tarzan and, and all of that. Yeah, and this movie itself brought in some heavy hitters like Robert Stack, Judd Nelson, who's just coming off of The Breakfast Club. Yeah. Uh, and his incredible fame in that. And Eric Idle, uh, Leonard Nimoy, Orson Welles. Yes, the other elephant in the room that I, I, I think we missed... Uh, Bringing up Orson Welles' last recorded performance is Transformers the movie. Yep, um, final on-screen appearance. Yeah, uh, well, I, well, actually, uh, another movie came out in '87 that had been filmed prior to this. That was oh, his cool. last f- uh, physical appearance. But this was the last piece of work that he. What movie did. was that? 
Oof. Uh, I can I can fact check it. Yeah, give me a sec. Um, I, I can find it. Um, also, I, I just want to circle back real quick to uh, something I just updated. The John John Moshita Jr., the Micro Machines guy, yes. um, is his record is uh, five hundred eighty six words per minute. Eminem on Rap God raps. To, no, I'm sorry. This this article is saying he broke his own record, which he established in Rap God recently with Godzilla, and he raps two hundred and twenty nine words in thirty seconds, which um, <laughs> which comes out to four hundred and fifty eight words per minute. So, I would argue John Mashita Jr. still holds the record. He he. There there have been other people who have been listed by Guinness as having broken the record. Okay, <laughs> um, but he does. Well, he contends that though John John uh, Masita Jr. He he contends that, and it says that I, I do not believe that these are timed properly. But I mean, okay. you know, as somebody who had held that record for so long, I think you know he, he's going to fight for it. All right, uh, PJ, I have two bonus questions, mm-hmm. and then we'll wrap everything up. So, first bonus question: This is a section of the podcast that we call "What's Your Snack." PJ, what's your snack? When you go to the movies, uh, or when you used to go to the movies before we were all stuck in quarantine, were what what snack did you like to get or bring to the movie theater? And now that you're watching movies at home, do you do the same snack or do you have different snacks or do you not snack? I am a big popcorn aficionado. Um, I love popcorn so much. It just everything about it. I know it's like the quintessential movie snack, but outside of the film, like, I mean, outside of the movies, I eat popcorn. I, I, I ate popcorn watching this last night. I awesome. I, would I dump a box of raisinets into popcorn here and there? Yes. I've been known to do that. I like but, M&Ms with popcorn. I like the ooh, chocolate and salt. That sounds good. Yeah, no, I'm a definitely a popcorn, popcorn guy. Awesome. Okay. So whether you go to the movies or at home, you like popcorn. Me too. My, I'm a, I'm a candy fiend and my movie candy is Sour Patch Kids. Um, and I had, uh, I, <laughs> I opened up a bag of Sour Patch Kids while watching this movie on Friday night, thinking I was going to have self-control. And at some point when I was taking <laughs> notes, uh, and I looked down and the bag was empty, which tells you how much this movie drew me in and put me back in the mind of my child self. And I just had so much fun with it. So good. PJ, my last question, my last bonus question. If we were to replace any two of the actors, or let's say, since this is an animated movie, characters in this movie, with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito, would that improve the movie? And how would you cast them? <laughs> I I would definitely say that there's a couple of people who are are in line for these roles. I would say that Cup is a shoe in for Danny DeVito. Oh, um, wow! Inspired choice, and and like like just especially. If I picture it as Danny DeVito as Frank from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia as Cup, um, it's, it's pretty terrible, but at the same time, amazing. I, I'm picturing Danny DeVito as all of the Sharktacons. <laughs> they do have a, um, in robot mode, a similar... Uh, stature. Stature, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and a similar stature, stature and surliness. Yes, Ba weeb grana weeb ninny bun, followed by <laughs> snacks, followed by attacking. So where are we casting Whoopi? Whoopi, ah, uh, like I would love to say 
would be would be hot rod okay in, in that uh you know the way they play off one another I oh think. my gosh yeah uh, hot rod and oh my god that'd be a great combination whoopie as as cup and oh no i'm sorry whoopie as hot rod and devito as cup yeah the, the only other parts i would maybe say that they could potentially be are uh it would be <laughs> funny would be as uh danny devito as optimus prime and Whoopi goldberg as megatron <laughs> yes yes i how amazing would it be uh if when when megatron gets upgraded to galvatron suddenly his voice is Whoopi goldberg instead of <laughs> which you know what there's a star trek uh crossover there yes what's her name what's her name on star trek i i, I have to admit i'm not as huge of a star trek fan as some people what's her name guinan Guinan, okay. Yeah, she's uh, introduced in Star Trek The Next Generation. The 10 Forwards bartender has, uh, I don't know if she has, uh, I'm trying to remember, she has empathic abilities or, or but she becomes very much like a, a counselor in the sense of like a person's bartender being their counselor. Like she's a moral compass at times for people. Picard goes to her for advice. Um, she unfortunately only gets one movie appearance in Star Trek, which is Generations. Mm. Uh, by the time first contact is made, she's no longer involved in Star Trek. But that does mean that she appears with Leonard Nimoy, right? No, Leonard Nimoy's not in Generations. Um, oh, see, I'm, oh, man, it, it's really showing how little I know about Star Trek. He, he does show up in several episodes of Next Gen, but I, I am not 100% sure if Whoopi Goldberg is in any of those episodes or if they even share a moment together. I want to be clear. People have probably already like thrown their phones across the room. I don't dislike Star Trek. I like Star Trek. I, I'm just ignorant of it. I love Star Trek. I um, I'm actually running a Star Trek Adventures role playing game at the moment. Um, I I've uh, I grew up with Star Trek um, as much as I grew up with Star Wars. I'm one of those people who's in in the middle of it. I have no preferred i watch them for different reasons uh sorry if i want to watch something actiony i'll watch star wars i want to watch something that's a little bit more cerebral i'll watch star trek or unless it's the jj abrams star trek films and they're basically star wars do you um, know what um this might be a controversial statement but do you know what my favorite star trek is is it uh voyager no <laughs> no it's the orville <laughs> oh no oh orville <laughs> Listen, I think the Orville captures Gene Roddenberry's vision of <laughs> because uh, what's the glob's name? Yannick? 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 I have actually not watched any of the Orville. PJ. I PJ. know. Listen, I, I, I've fallen I, off of Seth MacFarlane over the last few years. I, I understand. I understand you might have an aversion to it, but give it a chance. It is fabulous it is a wonderful show so there's a character yafit there's a character named yafit i'm reading the description directly off of wikipedia right now an amorphous gelatinous gelatinous shape-shifting engineer look he looks like just a glob of goo uh, just sort of oozes around, but like they treat him like he's just a normal crew member. <laughs> he just churns wrenches. He like has a romance with another crew member. It's it's this really like casual representation of aliens um, <laughs> and, a, and a very diverse, integrated crew. And it mixes humor and thought-provoking ideas of utopia and, and this peaceful future, the scientific 
exploration focused future. Mm. Anyway, I, you know, we're not, this is not the Orbo podcast. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do wonder if Yafit's name is a reference to Yafit Koto, who was in Alien. Oh, good call. Maybe it is it, yeah. very likely. Cause, cause Seth MacFarlane is really good at references, especially deep cut references to things. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have we have talked about this movie for quite a while, and I could talk about it for hours. But PJ, do you have any final thoughts on Transformers 1986 before we wrap up? If you're looking for a wonderful time that is in a wonderful 90 minute time frame, it's actually probably a little less than 90 minutes. Something to just put on and entertain yourself with. Transformers the movie is the place to go. You get robots. You get robot dinosaurs. You get some A-list actors chewing the scenery in Leonard Nimoy. You have Orson Welles' final performance, on uh, rec- final recorded performance. Someone to Love was the film that was released two years after he died. You have Judd Nelson, like you said, coming off The Breakfast Club. And then you also have characters like Springer, who, again, killer one-liners in this film. Hot Rod and Cup being... A wonderful duo who play off of each other so well in a mentor-mentee relationship. It's just so much fun. It's the definition of like a wow, cool robot movie. I love that phrase. You said that phrase a few times, wow, yeah. cool robot. It's something that I've, I've, I've learned recently um, in, in uh, my rewatching of a lot of Mecca right now. Yeah, like it's just bright, bright colors, awesome scenery, beautiful animation. I, I've said it before. And, and and maybe it sounds like I'm punching down at the film, but it has, it's better than it has any right to be. Yeah. Um, it, it could have been something so less than what it ended up becoming. It, it could have been a 90-minute toy commercial. It really could have been, but there's there's love in this film. There's love in the work that went behind it. It just shows on screen. The direction, the lighting, the colors, the the presentation, the the music. It, it's it's very well thought out. Like I mean, some people might think that the the songs are thrown in haphazardly. They're definitely the action is is choreographed to these songs. I can't hear you got the touch without Optimus rolling through, crashing into Decepticons, flipping in the air and shooting shooting down Decepticons and, and fighting Megatron. Like it just it's so tied to what that song is and the songs are tied to what the action is on the movie i could not agree more this is a fantastic movie if you've listened this far and you haven't seen it i think that's okay because if you were just curious about this movie and wanted to hear what we had to think about it watch it for yourself because no, there's nothing like the experience of watching it even if we've spoiled it for you if somehow you've never seen it and you listen to this um and we've spoiled it for you there's nothing like the experience of watching it firsthand and feeling all of those feelings and, and, and getting pumped up by the music and all of that. Everything that just comes together so well. This is one of my favorite movies. It's probably, if not in my top 10, it's in my top 20. And I'm so glad that you came on to talk about it. As a PJ, as a robo, and, robo fan and robot enthusiast, I do hope that you come back to talk about more Transformers movies because there's plenty for us to talk about on Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Coming up soon, we are going to talk about Tammy and the T-Rex. We're going to talk about Theodore Rex, which is by the same director as uh, last week's My Science Project, director Jonathan R. Batool. So I said earlier, we've reviewed slightly more robot movies. Dinosaurs are going to have their shot to, to make a comeback here in the next couple episodes. All right, PJ, 
Sorry, Thank the poster you. for Theodore Rex just popped into my head. Yo, <laughs> that's a movie where when I get to the Whoopi Goldberg DeVito question, it's going to be interesting. Do we recast Whoopi or do we keep her where she is? Like, and, we're, and when we add in DeVito, where does he go? I'm excited for that one. That's amazing. All right, PJ, anything that you want to plug or promote before we say goodbye? Ba weep grana weep ninny bun. Ba weep grana weep ninny bun. Well, PJ, until the next time you come back on Robots vs. Dinosaurs or Till All Are One. Till All Are One. Personally, I, I want to be tossed in the ocean and eaten by small fish. Yeah. <laughs>